Do re mi fa si la ti do. Hi, howdy, camperinos. How's everyone doing this week? I'm doing the only way I know how to live in large. Very nice. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to a remix episode. Your host this week will be me, Lori. And I will be your live audience member. Lori has a fan out there, everybody, and her name is Nicole. She's a friend of mine, and she recently listened to our episode 12, The, the Unsolved, the SS Orang Medan. Yeah, and she was asking about some topics that we brought up, but never actually got into on another episode, which is super cool because this is exactly what I was hoping to happen eventually, where people would listen, have questions, and then we can do something about it. So. In this week's episode, Lori's helping me get ready for our birthday surprise that we have coming up. And so she's taking over this week's episode as our host. I will be the audience member, but we want to give everybody out there in podcast land a huge shout out for listening. So thank you for that. It is an intimate afternoon with Lori and I because it is raining outside. So we're in her living room. And with all that said, I want to give Lori a thank you and the podcast listeners a thank you. Nicole, shout out to you. Ooh, ooh. Thank you, Nicole. And with that said, it's time for us to grab our drinks. We're chilling in the living room and it's time for us to get into this week's episode. Okay, so to recap, some brief uh, info from episode 12, the SS O-Ring Medan, I quickly went over uh, a theory of time travel that was brought to my attention many, many years ago as a kid. My math and science teacher allowed me to present it to the class for absolutely no reason at all. It uh, got a lot of laughs, and then I briefly and quickly sat down back in my seat. So... With that, we'll step into uh, some of the research that I did for the Philadelphia experiment. A lot of funsies. So it's the end of October, 1943. There is a ship called the USS Eldridge. So during this time, this was uh, like right in the middle of World War II, the US Navy was experimenting with something called degaussing. So basically like surrounding a vessel mm -hmm. with electric cables to scramble um, the electric magnetic field that it made, I guess, or the um, receptor fields of other vessels. So basically they wanted to cloak the vessel in like an invisibility type of thing electromagnetically so that it can't be read by other radars. So I think part of this aspect was also something like a theory like uh, that Albert Einstein had about like, you know, using electromagnetic waves to, you know, just, you know, because he worked with a lot of people during World War II for various techniques of how to keep things safe from enemy information, enemy targets. And this is one of those things. So basically, okay. this was U.S. Navy um, attempting a project to keep their, you know, American vessels safe from enemy radar. So anyway, 
So this is the USS Eldridge, 1943. They surround the ship with its cables. A man who is a merchant marine named Carl M. Allen says that he sees the ship kind of go up in some kind of a greenish light and disappear for about 10 minutes. So his claim, yes. I just have a question. When they're doing these experiments, so this whole story is about the Philadelphia experiment, right? So when they're doing this, is this like in like a warehouse facility where they had the ship just like uh, no, perched up? I, like I think for this specific incident, it was like pretty well known that this is what we're going to try to do. Okay. And so this is what we're doing for this specific purpose. And this is what it looks like. And I don't think that part of it was secret. There wasn't any need to, to like hide, uh, it to hide like that. Area 51 type and, and so good question, because that brings up another sub point that I will be making here shortly. So this is like how it. it starts out, okay. that this is what they're doing. So it has an intention of this is what it looks like, the degaussing process. And this is the intention. Okay. Or is it? Perfect. Okay. So this man, like we said, is Carl M. Allen. He's a merchant marine. Claims he sees the whole boat just disappear for 10 whole minutes. And then he says that uh, it reappears back in its shipyard, which is in Philadelphia. So it's gone for 10 minutes and then it reappears. So in 1955, let's go forward a few more years. We're just going to stick with Carl M. Allen's claims here. Okay. So what he does is he starts sending letters to the U.S. Navy. Let me see. I wrote it down. He sends an, anom an anonymous package to the U.S. Office of Naval Research containing a book called The Case for the UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects. In the book, he writes a bunch of notes in the margins, uses different colored inks, uses different uh, styles of... of text to make it appear as if three different people are having this written debate amongst each other. This is a book. It was written by a guy. And so then basically sends all that to this office. So then somehow in between there, the guy who wrote the book gets wind that someone like submitted this information and he tries to look for the guy, look, he, the guy who wrote the book, the author, mm -hmm. his last name is uh, Jessup. And then, so he's looking for the guy who says that he saw this happen and and um, blah, 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 blah. So he can't find him. He can't find the guy. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere to find this guy. So he contacts the family. He finds the family and they just say, oh, this guy is a, a prankster. He never really worked very long. Uh, he never really worked very much. He was a drifter. He just made stuff up, blah, 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 blah. And that was the end of their, you know, what they had to say about that. Okay. So Jessup doesn't really get too far in, you know, finding out the guy who took his book and rendered his own three person, you know, notes about it and sent it off to the U.S. Navy Office of Research. Okay. Because he obviously wanted to take his book and say, hey, someone said that a lot of things that I brought up in this book really happened. I want to interview him. I want to research more. I want to ask him more about what he said. And not only that. Carl M. Allen said that he was taught by Albert Einstein, of all people, mm -hmm. during this time uh, to help him when he, when he was writing these notes. He said that he was taught by Einstein about how all these theories 
went into practice and why we needed to spend more time looking into UFOs. Okay. So basically, Alan's claims were we need to look more into UFOs because he said that Einstein taught him about unified field theory. So basically, this is just a theory that he also claims is supported by his witness account of the USS Eldridge's disappearance. Okay. So that's how this kind of branches into that unified field theory is still unproven, but Einstein's, you know, the definition of it is all thought of fundamental forces and elementary particles to be written in terms of a pair of physical and virtual worlds. Yes. Can I ask for the Dylan definition of that? You can, but I don't have it. Okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> so if we branch off this unified field theory, we get Einstein's theory of relativity okay. and electromagnetism, okay? So remember, we're going through this process of degaussing, right? Which yes. is using an electric magnetic field to scramble the radars of enemy vessels so they can't detect it. So this is theory of relativity and electromagnetism put together under unified field theory. So then it kind of branches out pretty far down and this could keep like branching out for, to a bunch of different theories and a bunch of different blah, blah, blah. But basically it's like using electricity, um, magnetism and gravity and forest space dimensional zones, which is called space time. So basically Alan's claim is like, well, we need to look more into UFOs because they are operating with all of these theories that Einstein taught me and the U.S. Navy has already proved it worked with their fake degaussing project that was really an experiment for time travel. So that was his claim that this wasn't, we're not just going to make our vessel undetectable by radar. That was what they want us to know. What we're really doing is experimenting with time travel which is what ufos do you know in outer space and we're just gonna you know pretend that it's something else so everyone on board the ship is going to be putting on these cables like oh yeah we're just degaussing it blah blah, blah. we're all going to be fine that's this and this but then secret intelligence u.s navy is really saying well how do we find out how any of this uh, alien technology works why don't we degauss Mm. the USS Eldridge and we'll just you know turn this degaussing thing into a time traveling I mean, DeLorean if you will <laughs> yes I was gonna say I mean if anything that's pretty smart you know because then people are just like oh they're just trying to perfect it so that way it works when in reality you just like right under the nose doing what you want to do anyway yeah mm. and exactly because I mean how else are you gonna pull something like this off and have people go along with it and willing to like and have people Time go travel. along with it. Yeah. And and especially maybe uh, what else are they going to have of this size? And and the thing is, is they don't know the consequences of this kind of experiment. Mm -hmm. So here's the scary part. Okay. The scary part is, is that during the duration of the 10 minutes while it's, it's gone and then it reappears, the sailors on board are halfway melded into the ship. Some of them are really, really sick. This really happened. Well, no. See, that's the thing is, is that I can't find anywhere that says that it really happened. These are just like verbal accounts of like just this guy. But that's the thing. I can't really find out like, you know, did he really get this from somewhere else? Because he wasn't even on that ship. He just said he saw it disappear. So when it disappeared, 
and it came back. There are no accounts of what exactly happened That's in this experiment. That's what I can't really find out. And it's really put me on a like, what the Beep. really happened on here? But like I said before, this is a singular incident or thing that just branched off into a million different directions. Have they attempted to do something like the degaussing process again? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Okay. I really don't. Unless, unless they changed it, because granted, what happened is, is that by now, remember, this is 1943. This is this is World War Two time. I think you know the world, the the war was over in 1945. I I don't know if there was really a need to try any more of this. That that like level of well, let's outfit this whole ship full of freaking cables, and then technology. I think shortly after that kind of evolved fairly quickly. So then we didn't need to go back to. Uh, cables wrapping around the ship anymore it just kind of changed mm -hmm. but me not being in the military never been on even a boat before like i really don't know what kind of technology there is on like current ships and on submarines and within the military for these kinds of things for me to say one way or the other okay okay so going back to the condition of the sailors some of them being melded to the ship mm -hmm. some of them being extremely nauseous some of them uh, just plain out going crazy. So that was uh, the account of the condition of the sailors on the ship from this experiment, what their bodies went through. After transporting for 10 minutes, coming back. Yes. Time traveling, sorry. Yes. And so then, so Alan then wrote in all that, all those notes and then, you know, said he was taught by Einstein. Um, the author of the book, Mr. Jessup, goes looking for him because mm -hmm. he wants to find out well who's interested in my book and and has proof of the theories that i presented and wrapped up in in my ufo book and then he can't find him jessup ends up committing suicide he's not that old i think why he's does like he 59. do it i don't know i feel like what i gathered from what i read about him was that like a lot of his writings and theories just kind of fell flat and he just didn't have any more like um social footing in his area of expertise i think he got his doctorate's degree mm -hmm. in uh, physics and it was just like oh i do i can't really get a good foothold in the academic and scientific world with what i've started off with and and then he finally gets like a yeah a and he out. finally gets someone who reaches out to him and the guy is just like haha i did that for Beep. and giggles or maybe i didn't You'll never Silly know. Cat, check me again. Yeah, and it just kind of didn't go anywhere. And so this Alan guy who made the claims that he saw it was very elusive. Family didn't have any good track record for him. Mm. Nothing, nothing solid for this guy. So with that being said, that's what led this story starting off this way and then changing into a whole bunch of different versions. Um, in books and in movies. So when I mentioned this in episode 12, I, I mentioned how I brought up what I coined here on this piece of paper as Lori's theory. So this is what I presented to my eighth grade math and science class. Did Einstein teach you as well? No, I wish he did. Let's... I really, really wish he did because this is the only way for me to understand math at all. Okay. So eighth grade math class, I just got, and you know what? So this is what I realized. 
I realized after researching this that I must have seen a portion of the 1984 movie, The Philadelphia Experiment. There's a movie? There's a movie. Which means we're having we're gonna movie watch night? We're going to movie, yes. Okay. And like I said, because a lot of this information just kind of fell flat, especially because, you know, Alan can't be found. You know, Mr. Jessup didn't really, wasn't able to really, you know, tie in his theories from his book into this incident. A lot of people just picked it up and converged it into their own story. You know, who wouldn't? Sure. I would too. So I, I must have saw a portion you of did. this movie as a kid. Of course I did. And then just like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. So explain this to me. So, okay. Lori has a diagram. Theory. I have a diagram and Dylan will post it somewhere because I'm That's saying what we that do. did. So this is what I presented to my class. Here we are, dimension one. This is our current known reality. So this is me talking to you on this day right now. We're on this linear trajectory right here. I said, pretend it's October of 1943. So then I said, so in the movie, and, and not mentioned in any of the actual research, the movie starts off with that this is the story of the actual ship in 1943. Instead of the ship just teleporting to somewhere else in 1943 for 10 minutes, they actually went forward in the future by 40 years into 1984. Okay. So that's the movie. Mm-hmm. So what I presented to my classes, here's our current known reality, our linear timeline. Beginning of time, arrow means that it just keeps going on and on forever. Here we are in 1943. Everything and everyone that existed in 1943 has to exist because it's here. If you were to stop this right here, and then with a um, time travel thing, it's going to have to take all of this and jump it over to 1984 and skip all these other years down here. Mm-hmm. Everyone that ex- and everything that existed in 1984, me and everything else, is going to have to reappear in a separate timeline. That would be here. That's why it branches off from here. Because this causes this. So that means this cannot keep going the same way, or it can, but then there's another branch here that's an offshoot. When they go back in time, this ceases to exist at its 1984 level and goes back to this. But then this that would have continued the same as before is not the same because it has now branched off into some version of an alternate reality caused by the experience of these people here. So multiverses within the same time. Yes. So this is actually called, I found out now, I presented this in eighth grade. Everyone laughed. They didn't understand. It's actually called the parallel universe theory, which when you add all of this together, mm-hmm. that is what's called the multiverse theory. Multiverse Lord, you're universe a genius. Theory. I wish... Except for, let me tell everyone out there in podcast land, I have severe dyscalculia. So, as I said before, and I'll say it again, my teacher said, you can't multiply fractions, but you could do this. And that is because my understanding of math is only, is severely dependent on applying it to some abstract concept of something. Mm. Otherwise, I, I won't be able to do it at all. Even very simple arithmetic is, difficult for me so there's a lot of mathematical equations that go into all of these uh theories um it's really difficult listening to them because there's a lot of uh terms and stuff that i don't know but it's very interesting so yes so this is this was the theory i presented in class which is now known 
not as Lori's theory, <laughs> but as parallel universe theory. And so when you add all of these alternate trajectories together, it is what's known as multiverse theory. Just thought I'd repeat that. Does right? that just kind of happen in everyday life though? Like every choice that you make Here's the thing. creates an alternate. Let me read this definition to you. So the definition of parallel universe theory is in quantum mechanics, a universe theorized as existing alongside our own, although undetectable. So just like you said, if we just suddenly exist in 1984 for 10 minutes or whatever amount of time these people projected to go into the future for, how are we going to know if we stopped existing and then the current reality went back to 1943 and continued along its projected time thing of however 40 years and then we went back to our existence as we would have you would never know mm -hmm. dude there has been people who have said that they were walking down the street and it took them two hours to go down two blocks so somehow their existence from point a to point b was uh interrupted I was going to say, I mean, if you want to bring that into it, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but there's a theory. I don't know if it's considered a theory, but of time loss. And that's when a UFO comes and abducts you. And that's maybe if we want to get this back into like a UFO type of thing. Like if you're abducted, you're gone for a short amount of time, but you're put back where you are. Yeah. So like there's an episode of uh, Unsolved Mysteries where this guy is getting picked up for his military, you know, first day of military life whatever and he goes and he gets dropped off at the pickup spot and they go and look for him and he's not there and in his mind he's been there the whole time mm. but he disappeared for like four or five hours they went there multiple times looking for him and he wasn't there and he finally calls them he's like i've been waiting here and like you know you're supposed to pick me up and they're like where are you at and they're like i'm at the pickup spot and like we went there multiple times you were not there he's like i've been here the whole time yeah and they end up like doing this whole like search of his body and like everything and they realize that it's just what happens when you're abducted by a UFO is there's a time loss or time lapse or something like that. So I think that was a lot of Alan's claims in his notes was like, you know, UFOs can already do this. So that brings me to something else, which is a box theory, which is kind of like what you're talking about. So there's this other theory that the universe is entirely encapsulated inside of a box. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, is that there's no linear time at all it's just everything is inside of this box the fourth dimension is space-time mm -hmm. which means that all of the that time and space are interchangeable and you can basically change your position within this box so you lose time you gain time you go this this that and the other and nothing's like linear you just kind of ping pong around in different positions in this box okay so what do we know about the Philadelphia experiment? And that's the hard part is we know that it just kind of branched off and then a lot of people picked it up as it's and and changed it and we have a movie. We have a movie which we need to watch. Mm -hmm. Now we know that Jessup mm -hmm. is that his name? That was the author of the, the book. Author, he committed suicide. Do we know what happened to Carl at all? It just says that he died in 1994. He ended up in a lot of different places, and then he just died. It's And his family said he was a prankster, a leg puller. It seemed like he, and even if he was pulling a prank, he really had some type of valid points with this. Yeah, kind of, right? I mean, if you have the energy to sit down and go through a book and basically 
write a whole dialogue using three different points of view, I, that's a lot of energy to expend. And then I know that we talked about like it disappearing for 10 minutes and coming back. Is that true? Or what would you classify this as? Uh, okay, so, so far, uh, so much of this has been debunked. The timeline of, um, you know, the ship doesn't match up to any like of Alan's claims. So as of now, it is the military, one of the military's biggest urban legends. And that's why it goes so many different directions. Okay, so the whole thing is just open to interpretation, being yeah. a legend. Yeah, so was this an experiment or was this a cover-up? Was Alan, did he know what he was talking about? Or was he just a crazy prankster who was just having a bunch of fun? That's crazy. So then the melting of the bodies, the insanity that people went through may not even be real. Yeah, like, a, exactly. So did it actually teleport or what was like? Um, I think what it was, was that, um, you know, they mentioned in some articles, like say Elmo's fire, which is the type of fire that burns green, mm -hmm. that that surrounded the ship. And that was the glow that they saw and that it was moved to another, um, maybe port. docking station or port exactly for mm -hmm. a certain amount of time and then moved back. And people just exaggerated it because yes. it's all like kind of like an Area 51 thing. Yeah. Where if you can build up the story, then why not build it up? Because I can, so I will. Because someone else already started it off as crazy. This is crazy, but it's cool. Yeah. So I feel like this fits in our catalog. And not only that, but I realized that a lot of what I had, you know, interpreted from the story was something i saw in a movie i saw part of the movie i think i thought i was watching like an actual documentary and it was like and the movie's listed as romance adventure and when was the last time you watched a movie like I, I it must have been well over 30 years ago so do you think if we have our movie night movie night on monday that if you watch it you'll piece it all together and be like it was the movie i i'm pretty sure it was the movie okay but it was fun enough to... No, this is interesting because, I mean, this theory makes sense. And we've learned so yeah, many different take things. take that, Mr. Crouch. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a real thing. I hope he remembers me when he watches, you know, through the wormhole or whatever. And then be like, hey, yeah, I'm an eighth grade student. What's Is that the name of the movie? That's the name of the show that touches on a lot of these theories for space, time, and, and alternate dimensions. So through the wormhole. What's the name of the movie? Philadelphia um, Experiment? I think it's either Philadelphia Experiment. Yes. Okay. So. Classified as adventure, drama, and romance. So I was like, what the hell? I was watching a rom-com the whole time and thought it was watching like real science in action. <laughs> and it was just really, they took part of this story and changed it. That's funny. But a lot of people did. True. Sure. I mean, that's what it As like. urban legends go. What an interesting story. I'm Very. glad you did this week's episode. I'm glad I did too. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Nicole. <laughs> and thank you, podcast listeners. I guess with that said, we've reached the end of the story, unless there's anything else you want to add to it. No. Well, thank you so much for putting in the research. Thank you for showing us Lori's theory. I will post it on the website in addition to other photos of our behind the scenes. So you can check it out at www.campfireadventurespodcast.com. We'll also have all the source material that we used and more pictures of 
maybe uh, newspaper clippings of other things that we'd seen. And I think with that said, other than that, you can check us out on our Instagram and Facebook at Campfire Adventures Podcasts. And whether you listen to this in the morning or the evening, I hope you have a good morning or a good evening. With that said, the sounds and echoes you heard are because we are in a room in Lori's house. And, and I don't have carpet. And she doesn't have carpet. So it echoes. So it echoes. And other than that, I appreciate you for listening. And goodbye. Bye. Oh, also, we have something coming up for my birthday, so just stay ready. Okay, bye.